Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we continue our deep dive into what goes on behind every major TV writing program as we take a look today at the Fox Writers Lab. And to do that, we're joined by a very special guest, Moira Griffin, who oversees the Fox Writers Lab as Executive Director of Production, Creative Labs at 21st Century Fox. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. And like with all our episodes on the TV writing programs, we will be discussing everything from the app application process and selection process to the program itself and what comes after. So let's get started. So first off, can you give us just a brief history and an overview of the Fox Writers Lab as it has been? Yeah, so the Fox Writers Lab has actually had a couple different iterations, but basically it is a program where you apply in the fall for spots that begin in January. There used to be 10 spots, now there are eight. And the way that it's set up is... In the past, you used to apply with a project, and then you would start a new project, break it down, work within a writer's room. What I've actually done is I've changed it so that what happens is you come in and you rewrite your project. So you basically are kind of going deeper into character, deeper into structure, so that you'd really have sort of an understanding a little bit more of what your pilot script is going to be like. And then we work also with two facilitators, Kelly Kolchak and Sheila Hanahan-Taylor, who basically run the room. So Sheila is a producer and also teaches screenwriting at UCLA. And Kelly Kolchak is a producer, but now she also is the head of DreamWorks Animation Development Production. So we basically have like two really amazing people who are kind of coming in every week and leading that, that particular session. And what is your own backstory? How did you come to be in the current position you're in? So I started out as a producer in New York, independent producer, ran a production company called Pipe Dream Productions, had a number of different projects and people that we worked with, which was really great. Had a chance to really learn a lot. I sort of came from a small town, didn't really know anybody, didn't know anything, did a bunch of internships before I sort of got that job. And then came out here, did a lot more physical production, also was a consultant, started a film program in Ethiopia, also helping to move the Ethiopian film industry forward and also working with those filmmakers to get them ready for the international marketplace, actually. So we would go to Cannes every other year, bringing different groups of filmmakers, which is really amazing. And then when I came out here, did a lot more physical production, worked with my mentor, Effie Brown, who's an amazing producer. And then from there, went off to Sundance and started their diversity initiative. So really looking for artists, bringing them into the Institute, trying to create a more even playing field within the Institute so that people can sort of feel like it was a place for them. Worked with all of their programs as well, from film music all the way through to documentary, theater, and then with also within our, our filmmaker program, which includes episodic television as well, and producers. And then from there, came to Fox after, because it was a really a great way. I actually didn't have any experience really in television. My whole sort of career had been in film and everything I thought I knew about TV was completely <laughs> wrong. And so that first sort of week coming in, And kind of having to close out a program that Gina Reyes had put together, who's now actually, she's an agent now at Verve, amazing woman. She did a really great job with the Fox programs. So really my job was to sort of just kind of refine, retool, and close out the year that she had initially. And that was really amazing. So while at Fox, I've sort of built out the writer program there, also the director's program as well. There was a filmmaker program in conjunction with AFI, and then built a writer program in Taiwan with our Fox Asia group. 
as well. So helping Taiwanese filmmakers move into the TV space and really TV that's also good for the Chinese market as well. Oh, that's awesome. great. So I guess the question on a lot of people's lips right now is what's going on with the, the current Fox Lab and potentially its future with the whole Disney merger. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, right now, the sort of the labs are, are just on hold, you know, we're sort of we're closing out our director's lab. We're on hold right now for the writer's lab. But we're just sort of trying to figure out like how it's going to sit next to the Disney labs as well. Is it that there are two different labs for two different sort of parts of the company? Or do you sort of like pull one big lab where, you know, everybody can sort of pull from this one particular group of, of writers? But, you know, it's a big, you know, as you know, like the Disney Fox brand is very big, you know, mm-hmm. and very all encompassing and, and also has different kinds of material. You know, the Disney Writers Lab definitely has a lot more comedy. And within Fox, we didn't really have a lot of comedy traditionally because the broadcast wasn't like a big sort of, it was much more drama focused. And then also we also fed FX to and, um, and all of the different studios, which also tend to focus a little bit more on drama than comedy. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see sort of how that evolution happens, but we'll know within the next few months. And why do you feel writers programs like yours are so important to the industry? I think they're crucial because people need sort of a way in, right? Everybody needs a way in, particular for diverse creators. It's really hard to sort of make that connection. So it's really giving people access. You know, it's less about giving people tools to know how to write, because I think you're already bringing people in who already know how. It's really giving them exposure to our executives and also to some showrunners and other writers and creating a family for themselves, right? So every cohort, they really do create a family that supports each other, I think. is every writer knows, you sort of live in this like little world by yourself, unless you're a writing <laughs> team, right? You sort of live in a world by yourself. So you kind of feel alone. You feel like your issues are sort of like your own issues. You don't always really get a chance to meet people who are kind of all at your same level and sometimes a little bit above. And I think that writers labs actually give you that opportunity, A, to create this sort of wonderful family cohort that, that really will sort of go with you throughout your career, unless you burn a ton of bridges. You know. <laughs> but, um, and then also it gives you access to executives who you might never have met because you probably don't have an agent, you know, or you don't have a manager. And what we really try to do is really give people sort of insight and a way in to the studio system. It doesn't guarantee anything, though. We don't guarantee jobs. We don't guarantee work. None of that. It's still based on your skill set, you know, but what we do is give you access and exposure. So let's talk a little bit about the application process then for the Fox Writers Lab. Can you walk us through that and what is needed to apply? So for the Fox Writers Lab, it's an original script, two other log lines of ideas that you have that you, you know, would sort of love to work on, two recommendations. And those recommendations cannot be from your agent or your manager, can be from a professor, but really somebody who knows your work. I think a lot of times people feel like if they have like this big showrunner who's giving them a recommendation, that that matters. But when we read the recommendation, if that person is only saying what a great person you are and not necessarily able to break down the way that your writing is, that actually doesn't necessarily help you. You know, it's much better if you have somebody who actually understands your writing. And then the other piece is your biography, obviously, your resume, you know, you can't really have already written on shows. So that's number one. And the other thing is you really want to have like a personal statement. So why do you need this program? What's your passion behind what it is that you're writing? And just a little bit about who you are. You know, I think a lot of times when people write a personal statement, they sort of want to give a sob story. And that sob story always ends up going out the window. You know, I don't really care how long you've been trying to be a writer. It's more like, why are you passionate about this piece that you're sending in and why you're passionate about writing? And are there any parts of that application that are more weighted than others? 
Um, the script. <laughs> it always comes down to the script. I think that sometimes people sort of feel like if, oh, I'm just going to like polish this little thing up and I'm just going to submit it and that'll be, you know, it'll be great because it doesn't have to be perfect. It's not that it has to be perfect, but there, it has to show that you have a vision that you know, so are also kind of like the shows that we have so that we can kind of see where we would fit you. Every program really looks at that. And, and then also just like really honestly, it's the quality of the writing and the maturity. When you're writing a personal statement, like how mature are you? Are you ready to be in a room with other people that could be really difficult and it could be challenging, you know? So are you ready to be in that space? So that's definitely kind of key. But yeah, no, really, it's honestly, it's the, the quality of the writing. So what are the eligibility requirements to be able to apply to the program? And in terms of encouraging diversity, what's the program's definition of diversity? So we encourage diversity. It's not explicit, right? So it's really, it's across the board. It's LGBTQ, but we don't discriminate. It's not like we're only looking for that because it's also, it's really diversity of experience as well too. You know, and what's your your background and what are you sort of bringing to the table? So we don't necessarily define diversity as this one sort of narrow, narrow thing. It's really across the board because there are people who are disabled, right? Who are also trying to make their way in. We're not sort of really trying to say it's only this one thing. And can you walk us through sort of the evolution of the application process in the Fox Writers Lab? Because I know at one point it was mostly a referral system Mm -hmm. and then it evolved into a more open application. Why was that decision made? Can you walk us through that? So when I came in, I wanted to sort of, there was a couple different ways to retool the program. And for the application process, I didn't want to rely on referrals. Having come from a place like Sundance where we give a lot of referrals, I know what that can sort of look like because you tend to refer a lot of the same people. So every program then gets kind of referred the same 10 to 20 people, right? So I really wanted to open it up because you never know where you can find people. And really in the end, I don't think anybody came through us from a referral this year, honestly, because there was just so much talent that's out there that's really sort of struggling, right, to, to get in. And we actually ended up having a couple people, even from New York, basically like changing their lives and moving out and coming out here, you know? Also really varied, right? We had somebody who had been in the reality space. So she ended up sort of being like a reality editor and producer who had been trying to break out for years, had a great script, had agents, had managers, but everybody still sort of saw her as that person. And then coming in, she was just like the right voice, right maturity level, ended up getting staffed right out of the program. Was that Jenny? Yeah, it was Jenny, (laughs) you know? Um, We also had someone who had been a writer's PA on Grey's Anatomy for years, you know, but had had a life before that. She had had a kid young, was a single mom, ended up in Miami selling yachts and then decided she wanted to be a a writer. And, you know, so it's like there are all these different ways, you know, we had someone else, we actually had two people who were in the military, right? In two completely different lanes of the military. One was sort of like family, Native American that had been his whole, whole family history as everybody went into the military. And then he realized he wanted to be a writer to someone else who lived in, you know, he grew up in D.C., ended up in a military for a short stint, was a sniper, and then just also decided to be a writer. So it's like you never know where you're going to find people. And I wouldn't have found those people through a referral system. Right. So in terms of the material and the script that people are sending in, uh, why did you decide to go for one original script and no specs or you know, that kind of thing? 
because I had sort of like a little bit of a year of prep before we actually sort of, or not really a year, I would say like a few months of prep and sort of seeing how the, the TV space worked and closing out the last iteration of the lab that had been Gina's, which once again, she did an amazing job. I really wanted to talk to all of our executives to sort of find out, okay, what do you guys experience? What do you look for? What are you hoping for when you're bringing a writer in? Because we really want to make sure that people are getting the best opportunity to staff, right? And what I found was people really sort of wanted to have original material that was better than what they'd been seeing, right? I think it's hard when you're in a writer's lab to write an original pilot in four months. It's just impossible. I think every writer, especially for something that's original, that's new, when you're a baby writer, you think you know what you want to do and you think it's going to be easy, but you're, we have people who are working full-time jobs. You know, It's not going to be the only thing that you're doing. So you're sort of trying to fit in something new in a really sort of, really sort of truncated period of time. So the goal for this was then to find really good scripts good original ideas to showcase that, hey, these are people who have great ideas who can fit into this place, right? I don't think that, you know, for Fox anyway, different than potentially other studios, original scripts matter, spec scripts don't. People want to know that you have original ideas and that you can, they can place you somewhere. So that was really, it's kind of like the best way to get people to number one, kind of get up to speed really quickly. And then honestly, having people just be able to do a deep dive. You know, I think as writers, you don't always get that opportunity to explore character and explore your structure and have that feedback from other people on something that you've kind of been maybe pretty close to your heart, maybe even working on for a couple of years, right? So I think this really actually gave people that opportunity just to break it down to the bare bones of what it is and like reconstruct it with a little bit of freedom. And to, you can, so that's something that you can do in four months. And what are some of the common mistakes that you found people are making in those original samples? Not well thought out. <laughs> <laughs> Poor structure. They think they've, they've written a log line that doesn't match the script that they've given. They have no idea to write a synopsis for the actual script that they've written, which really tells me that they don't know their story. It feels like the pilot is a pilot that's going to go nowhere and it's not actually a real series. A lot of times people also send the exact same story. If I see one more millennial dramedy, I'm really going to throw up. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it, you, there, there can only be so many. <laughs> and I think that everybody's either talking to each other and, or they're watching the same thing and they think this is going to sell or they think their story is just that important that everybody needs to see another millennial dramedy. You know, like I could, I almost did not watch Rami, you know, on Hulu because of that, because I was like, oh my God, I cannot deal with another millennial <laughs> dramedy. And I'm, that is such truth where everybody wants to write the same thing. Maybe yeah. they're building the millennial cinematic universe. <laughs> That's what we want to do. But it's not a universe. It's like one, yeah. <laughs> it's one town. That's the problem. <laughs> so what is the, the reading process like for that? How much of the script is, is read in that first round and how does it go from there? So I have readers um, in that first round and the way that the first round actually works, it's you only submit the first five pages, right? First five pages is something that I 100% stole from Sundance because it was really a great way to sort of see, okay, if you can't get me locked in in five pages, 
I, I don't know what you're the rest way the rest of your script is gonna go. And that's not about pacing. That's not about you know a comedy versus a drama. It really just tells me whether or not you can have a, your story structure works. So that's sort of that first round, and then from there we do an invitation to another group. So the we cut it off. It was seven hundred and fifty. We probably ended up at about eight hundred. You know, if you emailed and said, "Hey, I missed the deadline," you know, we let you in. There's a couple different referrals that came in, which was you know not a problem. Happy to read as much as possible, but really the cutoff was 750 because there's only so many of us who can read. And so we had about six readers who really sort of went through everything and we talked about everything and we ranked everything. And then from there, we invited around 250 to apply with their full scripts. Those full scripts were read by multiple people because you never just want to have one opinion on anything. Called it down then to 30. After that, invited our executives to also kind of weigh in on those final pieces. Those are also blind. When we send it to our execs, everything is blind. So nobody has names of anybody because, you know, people get do so many generals all the time, you know, and they get so many people who are also agents or managers potentially of these people. So we just want them to feel like there's no pressure on them. And then they rank, we do interviews, and then from there people are chosen. But really, yes, we definitely do read everything. You know, somebody's read some, you know, your project at some point. And moving on to the log lines, can you walk us through why you asked for two log lines and what you look for in a good log line? Ask for two log lines because we're doing something that's an original script. A lot of times people have been working on that one script for five to 10 years. Um, so we really want to know that you have other ideas. Honestly, that's what it is. Like, I uh, really just want to know that you can come up with other kinds of stories and not just derivatives of the same story. You're not really looking for a through line in them. Mm -mm. I just want to know that you can come up with something else. People have their millennial dramedy and then they have two other millennial dramedies. <laughs> like this is telling me that you're, you don't have a lot of different kinds of ideas. I don't mind if you give me a horror script and then you have a dramedy and a drama. That's fine. It just tells me that you have interesting ideas. I don't necessarily, it doesn't also, sometimes it can tell me that maybe you're not so focused and you don't know necessarily what kind of writer you want to be. But I feel like in this time, people are able to be to be anything. You know, I think we're sort of out of that space of time when you only do one genre and then that's it and you're cut out of the system if, if you can't really do that as well. I think that people can kind of find their way. So really, it's just trying to make sure that you have other ideas. So the logline should be pretty succinct. It doesn't need to be a synopsis. You know, it's only like 40 words or something like that. Mm -hmm. And in terms of the personal statement, what is kind of the prompt for that? And what do you find makes for a compelling personal statement? Like I said before, no sob stories. I think a lot of times people want to say when I was five years old, you know, my mother went down the street and never didn't come back. That's not a personal statement that is going to be compelling to me. I want to know why are you passionate about being a writer? What is it that makes you, you sort of wake up every day and say, I need to write? Where did you find it? How did you get it? And how are you going to get here, even if you don't get into this program, right? So if you don't get into this program, let me know that you have a plan afterwards, right? Because not everybody's going to get in. It's really hard. So that is really very important. And why did you submit the story that you submitted? Really? You know, I love to know sort of like, what is that driving thing? What is the reason why this is a script that you've been working on for a year, for two years, and that you want to work on in the next four months? And then also, where do you feel like in terms of your writing that you need a little bit of help? I don't mind that in a personal statement. You know, it shows me that you're thinking about yourself as a writer. And at what stage of your career or your life do you feel it is best to apply? Is there such a thing as too much experience, too little experience? No. 
Not at all. Like I said, we had everybody from someone who'd already been a writer's PA in a room, so understood that world really well, to someone else who'd come out of the military and had, you know, some limited experience, you know, was a really strong writer, but didn't have as much sort of real world experience in terms of the writer's room. That doesn't matter to me because I'm looking for a cohort of people that are at different levels. I don't want everybody at the same level because people need to learn from each other. And I think also sometimes, sorry, talking about the personal statement again, is that sometimes people forget to say the lives that they've led coming up to this place, right? And that's actually really important. Like if you were a doctor before and you decided you wanted to be a writer, that's actually good for us to know because maybe we have a medical show that we think you'd be good for, right? So a lot of times people want to sort of kind of limit the experience that they have because they want to show out they went to like Yale for screenwriting and or USC or that doesn't matter to me. So I think it's really about, you know, who you are as a person. So because that's how we think about the room, right? Just like how you're creating a writer's room, we're recreating a writer's room and we're looking at this cohort of people who can help each other fill the holes. So you touched on this a little bit earlier, but how important are the reference letters and what are you looking for in those? So like I said, reference letters are important really because we want to know that you have somebody who's an advocate for you as a writer. Like I said before, it's not about you as a person. It's not about you were a nice person. You had a you know 4.0 GPA. That doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter if you were really great at getting coffee at your last job as an assistant. None of those things matter. What matters is somebody who can really do a deep dive into your writing and somebody who's read your work because you can read a recommendation letter and you know when somebody hasn't read anything that this person has done. That can also be hard. So you could have written that letter yourself. I'm not going to know, you know, (laughs) but make sure when you're writing that letter that you're not, it's not just about how great you are as a person, right? But it really sort of tells a little bit more about your writing. And aside from the scripts, do you feel there's anything that most applicants should spend their time on the most? Their personal statement. 100%. I think that people really need to do the best personal statement possible because that's the thing that that lets us know who you are from your own point of view, right? There's no better advocate than you for your writing and for yourself, right? So make sure that personal statement is something that you work on. It's always the hardest thing, I think, for people to try to get right. But this also tells me whether or not you can tell a story. If you can't write a good personal statement where your sentence structure is actually worked out thoroughly, that tells me that you're not a great writer. It's kind of like a weird thing because it's like, well, what does that have to do with, you know, the script that I've done? But sentence structure is important. <laughs> it's a form of prose writing. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that, are there any other common overall mistakes in the application that might get someone written off or disqualified, whether it's submitting their entire script in the first batch or something more complicated than that? That kind of stuff doesn't bother me so much. I know why people do it, but you can't really in ours anyway. You can really only submit the first five pages, I think. But one of the things that annoy me the most people who don't read the instructions and then email me five times about the same question that's either in the FAQ, you know, or is really pretty well laid out. It's telling me that you're not paying attention. People who answer questions wrong, once again, shows me that you're not paying attention. You have to be detail-oriented to a certain extent as a writer, right? So if you're not able to read instructions, then that to me is a problem. And you'd be surprised how many people 
do not read the instructions. And conversely, do you feel there's some elements of the application process or anything like that that people are overly worried about that they shouldn't be? I think that people are overly worried about reference letters. I think that they feel like if they don't have it from the biggest person possible, if Ryan Murphy has not written my letter, I'm never going to get in. And that's that's just not true. You just want to have somebody who who knows who you are, who who's in the industry, and that can be any facet of the, of you know the industry. All right, so moving on to uh, a little more detail in the selection process, mm-hmm. uh, can you just walk us through that, the, the different rounds, again, how many people are kind of whittled down, that sort of thing, what you're looking for in each round? Yeah, so the first round is, you know, 750, like I said, we kind of goes up to about 800. Those are the first five pages. 250 people are invited to apply for their full script. We whittle it down to 30 people that are read throughout you know, th- with all of our executives, from there, 15 people are invited for an interview. And from those 15, eight are chosen. So that's sort of like our, that's our selection process. And we have readers sort of at every stage in terms of the beginning, but ultimately it's sort of between myself, Liz, who's manages the program with me, and then our executives. And in terms of the original sample, what is it that you look for in the rest of the script that the first few pages don't really give out? If you're able to tell a story, right? So to what you would look for in any script, is it good? You know, is this something that holds up? Do the first five pages, are they just like the best five pages? Or are they showing me this really interesting project? And it doesn't have to be perfect, right? So we're looking for people who have a really great story to tell, who are able structurally to tell that story. But maybe hmm, you didn't go too deep in the character. Maybe your structure needs a little bit of work. But this is something that really is interesting. And then when we do the interview with you, you can also say, hey, I feel like I need to work on this and this and this, right? And they're open to it because we'll talk to you about your script and we'll really go into like some detail about it. So we want to know that you know where your problems are and also that you're open to exploring those problems. So speaking of the interviews, are they conducted over the phone or in person? Um, who are people talking with on those? They're speaking with myself and then sometimes Liz is there as well. But we're basically conducting these interviews over Zoom, so over video conference, because we like to see people's faces and see how they're if they're afraid or not afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Should they be afraid? (laughs) They're always afraid, you know? (laughs) And uh, what kinds of questions do you usually ask in those interviews? Ask about your background, you know, sort of what brought you to writing, why you want to apply for the program, like what is it that you want to get out of it? And then also about, about your journey as a writer, you know, sort of what do you think you need to improve on? And then, like I said, we do sort of a deep dive into the script, right? In terms of where some of the holes are and also what shows. You'd be surprised how many people will apply for a program at a studio and then not actually name any of the shows from the studio (laughs) that they actually would want to be on. So that's definitely kind of what we look for. Like, did you do your research enough to be like, hey, I might be looking at fox.com right now but i these are the shows that i think actually work for me so you know people have to have an idea of where they sort of feel like they fit because if they don't then it's harder for us to sort of feel like okay this person's done their research we sold them internally 
Yeah, what are some of the other things that tend to trip people up in the interview process? I think one of the things is, is talking about themselves. You know, I think people don't always like to talk about themselves and their journey. So I think that's always kind of like trips them up. And then also being a little bit too hard-headed about where the changes in their script is. I know someone who, when we did their interview, was like, no, the script is perfect. Uh-huh. There's really nothing wrong. I don't really see any improvements. Maybe you a couple lines or two, maybe a little dialogue, but that's it. Well, it's not perfect. And if you're telling me that it's perfect and you don't see room for improvement, that tells me how you're going to be in a room. So really want to know that you can, that you're cooperative. You're there to be collaborative. You're there to sort of understand and to, and to get better and to really have an experience that you might not have had somewhere else. Is it that same script that they apply with? They then go into rewriting the program? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Yeah. So you got to be able to take the notes. <laughs> <laughs> And you already spoke to this, but is there a balance you try to get between uh, comedy and trauma writers? Yeah, for us, finding comedy is really hard. We try to have a balance, but we get a lot of drama. Uh, and then millennial dramedies. You know, so. <laughs> That's a subgenre <laughs> into itself. <laughs> what do you think are some of the kind of key differentiators between the people who do make that final eight and the ones who kind of fall off on the rounds before? Um, openness, making sure that they're thorough, also sort of thinking about that they have an understanding of who they are as a writer and where they want to go and really that they are going to be good in that room. You know, you can have a really, we have an amazing writer. She was so good, so good. And there was someone else who had a script that was very similar to hers. And that script was just a little bit better. And they were just at the right point for us. Just in the interview process, they just were a little bit better. And that was hard, you know, because it wasn't that she wasn't talented. It wasn't that she wouldn't have been great. It wasn't that she wouldn't, her career wouldn't have been able to move forward. It was just, you know, we're trying to have diversity also within the room in terms of the kind of scripts that we're working on too. So that's that can sometimes be hard. So it has nothing to do with the person. It's just a matter of sort of like, maybe you have somebody else in that place that just is doing just that much better than you. And what lessons should people take based on how far they made it in that selection process? To apply again, definitely. You know, a lot of times people don't apply again because they got close, but getting close means you should definitely apply again with something different <laughs> so that it shows us that you're growing as a writer you know, you don't take rejection, you know, lightly, and you're, you're really going to continue to improve. I think sometimes people apply with the same project again, and you're like, mm, this one didn't make it. You know, this time that doesn't mean that, oh, now I've, unless it's changed dramatically, you know, more than 50%, then it doesn't really help. So I'd always suggest that you people should apply again with a different project. Uh, do applicants ever receive any sort of feedback on how they went at any stage of the process? Um, it depends. I think when you get into the final stage, yes. But it's hard when we have so many different submissions. Does having applied that previously either help or hinder a writer in being selected? Is that something that you keep track of? Oh, yeah, definitely keep track of people who've applied, even from that large pool, right? We want to know if you're coming again. But no, I think it actually helps because you've now created this relationship. I sort of understand who you are as a writer. I've se- hopefully have seen you grow as a writer. And, you know, relationships are really the key to this business, right? It doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to get in. There's plenty of people who, you know, I've seen apply 
five times and you're like but we now know each other really well and it's like mm, sorry <laughs> it just still didn't work right but it's really just about you know you're creating these relationships and you're understanding and there might not be something for you right now in this program but hey i might know another program that i'm going to recommend you to right so i think that people should always when they get to that final round and they didn't get in send a note of thanks all those sorts of things because people we all talk among all the programs we see hey this person wasn't good for me but i see this shows that are coming up on your slate and this person might actually be really great for you So moving on to the content of the program itself, what do you see as the unique strengths of the Fox Writers Lab that set it apart from other programs? Number one, we only have eight writers. We used to have 10, and I think that can get a little unwieldy when you have a lot of people in a room, just because you want to sort of give more individualized attention. And we're not 30 people running these programs, right? And we still have alumni that we have to deal with. So it's much better if it's a smaller cohort. Also, one of the things that I did was everybody has an executive mentor. So there's someone who becomes an advocate for you that's within the Fox system. And they also are kind of on the ground when it comes to staffing, when it comes to connecting you to showrunners, who can be advocates for you for agents. We've had probably two of our writers get agents through their executive mentor, right? Because they also now become champions of them outside of our system as well. So that to me is a very unique thing. And then also everybody gets a professional coach. So we had a coaching system for our writers as well as our director's lab too. Um, that's something that I introduced, something that I also brought over from Sundance when I ran the women's initiative. We had a donor who was really big on coaching and I didn't really think it was that big of a deal until I experienced it and saw the change that it makes. Because I think a lot of times as writers, you sort of because you feel alone, because you don't really have that sort of space to really think about how do you navigate the space just on your own, the coach is really there to sort of help with that. And a professional coach is not therapy at all, right? So what we had was someone who really focused on that heart-mind connection, doing meditation. When you're about to go into an interview space, how do you sort of like center yourself, make sure that you're ready to get into these spaces, also because a lot of times you're dealing with diversity and you're dealing sometimes with hostile situations. It's how do you sort of maintain your equilibrium while you're dealing in these situations so you know how to sort of be your best self in these places. So, and also how to sort of, how do you um, navigate these spaces and keep your sanity? Because sometimes it can make you a little crazy. That's sort of where our professional coaching comes in. And can you give us a, a general overview of how your program is run in terms of the content and the time commitment? So we have two nights a week is the commitment. We give everybody a stipend, small stipend, just in terms of uh, gas, you know, um, all that sort of stuff. It's not that much money, but at least it's a little bit of something. And two nights a week, because we know that people work during the day and we don't want to interrupt that schedule. You kind of write on your own free will. This is not a program where you're going to be sitting in an office writing. You know, you have to be able to go home and write and have your have everything due the next week. Sheila and Kelly facilitate. They kind of split up the classes four and four. So each night you sort of kind of alternate, right? Everybody has to read. Everybody else is writing also at the same time that you're writing. Very much like how a writer's room would work. And then building, you know, every time you're sort of building on your breaking down in the beginning, you're breaking down your, your characters. So you're starting all the way at the beginning. You're outlining that script that you've already written 
breaking it down all the way. So, Do you have sort of guest speakers that come in or is it mm-hmm. largely internal? Yeah, we have guest speakers that come in. We have showrunners, executives, and that usually starts after the second week. And then those will also be sometimes on alternate days too, because I, I don't necessarily want to interrupt that process. I'm always on the Tuesdays and Thursdays, or we'll do it a little bit earlier in that day. So the classes start at seven. So maybe instead of seven, we'll have that class start at six. So that way you still get those full three hours afterwards because mm-hmm. the classes go from seven to 10. Right. And what sort of topics do they cover and speak about? Uh, cover everything. So everything about the business, right? We have an agent night, agent manager night. How do you deal with agents and managers? We have people from CAA and uh, UTA. It was, you know, one of those fun evenings of sort of the, the reality of getting an agent and working with an agent. So that's sort of on the one hand, the executive night will have different execs. So we'll have people from FX and, you know, understanding how the FX brand is. And then other people from uh, Fox 21, understanding what that brand looks like and also understanding their careers. Like what was their career trajectory and what do they look for in a writer and how do you take meetings, you know? And also what do those showrunners look for? When we have showrunners and writers, it's really them talking about, about their journey also. And then their rooms, what do they look for? So really it's just a lot of like one part sort of getting to know the person, like that personal sort of journey. And number two, like, like this is the reality of the business of how do you get a job. And to that point, how do you prepare your writers to not just the business of TV, but also their ability to pitch themselves and uh, be relevant in the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a pitching session that happens at the end. So they go through three weeks of really just sort of intense pitching. We had someone from UCB come out and do a workshop with them, you know, getting you comfortable just to sort of be able to speak about yourself, right? And then we have two sessions. The first session is with them sort of going through all their pitches, kind of like workshopping them a little bit. That second session that we brought in alumni who've already been in the room, who've been doing this a little bit longer now, and they actually give them feedback on all of their pitches as on top of us giving them feedback, just so that way they get this outside perspective, people who don't know them at all, but are just sort of like, you know, a few kind of rungs ahead of them. And then that final pitch session is in front of executives. So it's a round table pitch session. So they go from table to table and they're just pitching all night long. So you mentioned this earlier, but uh, why do you feel it's valuable to have the participants rewriting their script rather than generating new material during the lab? Yeah, I think it's important for people to rewrite because people need to understand the motivations of their characters. They need to think about their structure. And they also need to learn how to get and give feedback, right? On something that's much more precious to them. I think that sometimes when you have something that's new, you kind of, you're more open to feedback because you don't really know where it's going. But when you have something that's really close to you, you're not always so open to feedback because you think you know where it's going, (laughs) but it doesn't always go in that, it's probably not the best direction for you at the moment. So I think it's really important for people to understand how to get and give feedback. And I think you do that better on a project that's a little bit closer to your heart too. And I think you can also improve that project when you're writing something new in a short period of time. Yeah, that's really great. It's a really fun exercise. It makes you feel like you're in that room where things are just happening really quickly. But the reality is that what we're trying to do is sell you as a writer. And a half-baked script is not going to be the best selling point for you as a writer. So we want to be able to create a space where you're presenting your best foot forward. You know, and you can only really do that in the rewrite process. And I know that out of the eight fellows, you select one to sort of be the the fellow of that year who then receives a a script development deal Mm -hmm. with FPC. Uh, Can you walk us through the selection process for that person and what you look for? 
So the selection process for that person is also through the pitch session. So that final pitch session is one of the determining factors of who is going to be getting that that final blind script deal. And then also the script. So the executives sort of all rank all the pitches. And then from there, we also give them the scripts of like the top five. We have them all kind of rank the top five. And then from there, we choose who the final person is, along with the head of the studio, either on the drama side or on the comedy side. For those who don't know, what exactly is a blind script deal and what will the writer be doing? They basically end up working on, you know, they're pitching a number of ideas, hoping to develop one of them. And then they develop it with the studio and the network over the course of a few months. And once inside, what are the best ways that a fellow can use and make the most of the program once they're in it? I think one of the best things that they can do is to make sure that they're making connections. You meet once a month with your mentor. Make sure that that one time a month that you're meeting, you're asking the right questions and you're just not trying to hang out and have a coffee. A, because they don't have that much time, you know, and B, because these people have so much value and there's such great resources for you. So to really have some pointed questions and thought behind what it is that you want to accomplish. And then also you're on the lot. You get this opportunity to meet people. You can meet showrunners in these spaces and be able to talk about yourself in front of them. And they're kind of looking to see, because these are the same people who are going to be staffing, right? So they're looking to see who might fit my room. And so that's really important for people to make sure that they take advantage of these spaces and these times and to be on time. It's hard. I know when you're people are working and people are trying to do so many things, but this is like an opportunity to me of a lifetime when you're just about to start your career. So make sure that you're on time for these sessions. Because when you're walking in late, a showrunner sees that and they're wondering if that's what you're going to be like in their room also. And so do you encourage people to be proactively looking for opportunities while they're still in the program, whether it's staffing or reps or that kind of thing, or should they be focusing on the program? Uh, Both. You know, I think you have to be 100% your own advocate in your career. You can take advantage of all of these things at the same time. This just kind of helps to bolster you even more. But you should always be be doing as much work on your own behalf. I mean, we get a lot of managers and agents who reach out to us and we send material along at the same time. So we're always trying to make sure that there's that writers are getting opportunities. But at the same time, you have to be doing those things for yourself. And we have some great managers out there who are such great advocates. I think one thing though that sometimes people forget to do is to coordinate with us and to let us know when things happen. So if something really great happened out of that meeting that we set up, and if you don't tell us, we don't know through osmosis, right? That it's just happened. When that person who, (laughs) who did that great thing might not necessarily tell us, right? So writers have to, yes, be their own advocates, but they also have to use their voice and their email and send us a message and say, this is what happened happened out of this meeting that we had and always keep in touch even if it's after the program is over now moving on to after the program and uh, you just touched on this but how do you work with uh, your studio and the industry at large to get your writers from your program staff we are constantly working with our executives to try to staff these writers i have to say i have been very very lucky in that the executives at Fox have been amazing advocates for this program, and they are always working to get our people staffed. They really, really believe in the program and they believe in the writers, you know, once we get them to know them as well. Like, I think that's a great point of um, having uh, mentors who are executives, because then they also become personally invested 
in these people and in their careers. So we're constantly working with our executives to try to get people staffed. We get calls all the time from them for recommendations. So we're very lucky in that respect. And what efforts does the program make to keep in touch with and support your alumni, especially if maybe they don't get staffing job at the end of it? I think that we try as hard as possible to keep in touch with them. It's really difficult. <laughs> we're always trying to plan great events. One of the things that kind of got us caught up a little bit on something that we were planning was because of the merger. So we had to put some of our budgetary resources on hold. But we know that there are a couple different writers who started like some Facebook groups and we just were like, whatever you need from us, we can really try to help in any sort of limited way. But there's always ideas that we have, but I know that in the next iteration with Disney, um, a lot of the conversation has been around alumni support and what is that we can do, you know, how do we transition the program into something that's also geared a little bit more towards alumni and how do we take advantage of that alumni pool a little bit more, especially because those alumni are now so successful in the business. So we want them to also be working for our organization and not just doing things for other people. And how has your program evolved and adapted over the years to this uh, ever-changing industry? You know, the thing is we're in the business of television and making television. So it's evolved in that there are probably more connections to executives, but we're still just trying to be, get people staffed, right? It doesn't matter if there's 300 shows, 4,000 shows or two, that kind of piece doesn't matter. It's really getting them to understand the business. Every year, the first session that we do is a session just on the business. It's a three-hour intensive session, breaking down network, studios, streaming, all of that sort of stuff. So people understand what the business is and also the evolution of the business. So that's probably one thing, but really it hasn't really changed in that much in that way because people just want to be staffed. It doesn't matter. And uh, who are some of those notable success stories to come into your program that you're particularly proud of? I mean, I guess Lena Waithe, right? I, she wasn't my year, but she was a couple years ahead. And that's, that's definitely like a great success story. You know, for me, I you know, from, from my class this year. And then also we have this one amazing woman, Yasmin, who went from, she was at USC, became a part of the program. I was responsible for sort of closing her out last year. She was very, very shy. So sometimes her meetings didn't always go well. People couldn't really figure, but her writing was amazing. So working with Rena Singh, who's one of our executives on the studio side, we're like, okay, how can we move Yasmin forward, right? And Yasmin ended up doing something that we we really don't encourage, but it was shadowing. So she basically shadowed on The Exorcist for three weeks. And there's this idea of, okay, how do you get comfortable in this space? At the end of the three weeks, she did so well that they ended up putting her on staff for the rest of the season, which was amazing. From there, she went on to Netflix and then ended up co-producing. She's also Turkish, ended up co-producing a show in Turkey. So, I mean, I think for, for me, I, she might not be a name that everybody knows, but she will be a name that people know. And then also this year, we ended up having four people staffed out of eight. And then we're also looking at sort of staffing the rest of the, the core this year. So I'm excited about those names as well. And what do you feel is both the hardest part of your job as well as the most uh, rewarding? The hardest part is keeping up with everybody and making sure that everybody, and when I say everybody, I mean our alumni, right? Uh, making sure that they sort of really feel involved still in the program. I think that's the hardest part. There's little ways that we do it, you know, bringing them in for the pitch sessions and getting to know them. But I think that's a, sometimes can be a hard thing to do. And the most rewarding is when people come in and they don't think that they can make it and they 
end up finding like some of their best friends and then they get staffed and they're staffed alongside of those people. And that to me is just the most rewarding, right? For somebody to be like, I came out here, I couldn't pay my rent. And then now I'm like staffed on a show a few months later is amazing. Just briefly, can you touch on some of the other initiatives from the Fox Creative Labs and the other things you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the some of the other initiatives are, um, we had, like I said, we had our, our Fox Filmmakers Lab, so focused on women. Uh, there was also the Fox Directors Lab, which we're sort of closing out right now. And that's a shadowing program for directors for one month intensive sort of in-class sessions during the day. And then after that, they get up to two shadows over the next year. And then also we had our Fox Taiwan program, which was moving filmmakers into TV in Taiwan. They also came out here for the first week and they did sessions during LA screenings. So it was meetings during LA screenings with all of our executives. They did a couple like mock writers rooms and then they went back to Taiwan. Oh, they also met Taiwanese American TV writers here, some of whom also kind of work between here and Taiwan as well. They went back to Taiwan and then they were actually doing mock writers room sessions over Zoom, over Skype with Sheila. So that was that was actually really amazing. And then I also oversee all of our partnerships with festivals and organizations. So what I did within that is sort of transform instead of sort of giving money for galas and little events, it's really about what is your sort of like dream project? that you want to do to support creators and how can we help you do that? And what are some of the funds behind that? So, and also um, whenever we did festivals, making sure that there was a financial reward for winners. So that way, you know, you kind of get something out of that as well. So also, and doing it in places that people don't always go to. So Black Star Film Festival in Philadelphia, there's New Orleans Film Festival and Film Society, obviously in New Orleans, funding their Southern Producers Program as well, helping to create more producers in the South, and then also their Emerging Voices Program. So things like that, places that people don't always think about, but where there's so much great talent. And what do you hope for the future of both the Writers Lab and any of your other initiatives? I hope that they grow. You know, I hope that they they grow and they get deeper. And I, and by grow, I don't necessarily mean have more people involved, but really just be able to grow and evolve in a way that we're actually working with writers and partnering them with pods, helping them to actually you know really move beyond just being a staff writer to also being creators of shows because there's so many outlets right now, especially internally. And we have just like this great pool of talent just sort of sitting there that we have access to, you know, and that we we know and we have their phone numbers, you know, <laughs> we don't have to go through their their agents, especially now. Um, so I think it's a really great pool of people. And that's sort of what I hope. I hope we move beyond just that sort of program support and really into production. Uh, do you have any final advice for writers thinking about submitting to the program in the future? I think that people should be just be writing. You know, I think that a lot of times people feel like if they don't get into something, then oh, I'm just going to sort of halfway give up or give up on working on this project or whatever. I think that people should just continue writing, continue writing more than that one thing that you've been working on for the last five years, and then just apply, 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 apply again and again and again. But don't let that be your sort of only outlet and apply to all the programs. You know, some of them obviously have spec scripts, so that's a little bit different, but keeping up on your deadlines, apply early. Also, a lot of times people apply at the end on that last minute 
before the <laughs> deadline ends. And that's just sort of when we're inundated with everything. I think your best opportunity to get yourself really seen and for people to become really invested in you and to see that you're sort of on time is not just if your project is good, but if you applied early when not many people have yet. And can you tell our audience where they can find more information about the Fox Rivers Lab? Most likely. So there's going to be there's like a whole rebrand happening. So I think the best thing is to just sort of pay attention to the website, most likely now the Disney website as well, because Disney will have all of that information on there. So just to kind of keep an eye out on those sites. Gotcha. Just like the main Fox website and Disney. No, 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 not the Fox website anymore. So really the main Disney website. Okay, gotcha. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, before we go, if you enjoyed this episode and you want to be notified when the next episode of the TV writing program series drops, don't forget to subscribe to our paper team podcast. You'll get access to all 130 plus episodes about the craft and business of TV writing available on both iTunes at paperteam.co slash iTunes and all Android podcatchers at paperteam.co slash Android. And uh, we are now on Patreon. So consider supporting the podcast on our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N to get cheat sheets, bonus content and merch. And so we can keep producing a great show like this one for you every week so thanks to our listeners for tuning in and thanks so much to moira for joining us you can get all the show notes for this episode including all the disney and fox links at paperteam.co slash 137 as always i'm on twitter at tv calling i'm at underscore nj watson and where can people find you if you want to be found uh they can find me at at moira griffin and uh, if you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to be going through the third installment of our mentorship series with Paul and looking at the first draft of his mid-death crisis script. Excellent. We'll see you then. Right, catch you then.